Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. at the end of our Freedom of Religion series when we've been using the Four Freedoms paintings to sort of frame up how we would approach that understanding. And today we are going to do both freedom from want and freedom from fear. And I'm not going to give a lot of insight into the paintings. I encourage you to go on to our Facebook page and check out a video by Johnny Haney in which he gives background on all of the paintings and particularly these two. There's some beautiful um, insight into it that I encourage you to check out. But today we're going to be looking, like I said, at freedom from want and fear. And we're going to be using a passage from the Gospel of Mark and one verse from James to frame up this discussion. So hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him, my daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you, yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means young woman, get up. Suddenly the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. And then from James, true devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their difficulties and to keep the world from contaminating us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. The Bible doesn't actually talk about religion much at all. Is that surprising? 
Really, honestly, religion is rarely mentioned in the Bible. Faith is mentioned quite a bit. Religion, almost non-existent. One of the few verses in which religion is specifically mentioned is the verse that I, ha- that I read for you from James. The word that is translated in this translation as devotion is the word that can translate as religion. And so James gives us the only biblical definition of what religion is, and it is this, two parts. One, care for widows and orphans in their difficulties and keep the world from contaminating us. We're going to look at both aspects of this definition, but before we do that, I think we need to back up and sort of recenter on what we have learned over the past couple of weeks as we have looked at this series. As I mentioned, this is a series looking at the freedom of religion, and we talked about in the first week that the very first right in the Bill of Rights is preservation of freedom of religion. And we talked about that that was important because religion, more than any other force, has the power to restrict or reduce or eliminate other rights. And so in order for the other rights to be preserved, freedom of religion has to be preserved first. And then we have talked about that as Arminian Methodists who believe that a loving God gives us free will to make choices, we have affirmed that we in fact need to have the freedom to choose in order for us to to properly be able to express our own free will. And then we talked about how we need to be free to discuss, to question, to understand differences and different points of view, and that freedom of speech allows us to have that freedom so that we can then use what we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral to look at Scripture, and in seeking the will of God through Scripture, we can use our tradition, our reason, and our experience in conversation with Scripture in order to determine for us what we think the will of God is. So those rights preserve our rights to freely practice religion as we understand it. So this week, all of this is going to come together as we seek what God's will is around this idea of releasing us from fear and want. And when I say want, I don't mean desire, although we need to be released from that for sure. What I mean is lack, lack of especially some of those basic needs that we have to be Uh, functioning human beings in this world. And then as we look at that, we're gonna use the passage from Mark to look specifically at some fear and want that we need to be released from. Then we will culminate in how we live the biblical definition of religion. So let's look at the Markan passage and let's look at some lessons we can learn when we think about what it meant at the time in which it was written and preached. So we have in this passage two women in trouble. They are both in life-threatening situations. Jairus' daughter very literally has her life threatened in that she may die. But also because she is 12 years old, which is right at that point between childhood and adulthood at the time, since she is 12 years old, she faces also the loss of having a family, of experiencing marriage, of going into adulthood. Um, she, she just loses the chance at a future. And her parents face the loss of a child, which is such an incredibly awful thing for a parent to have to face. But they also face the loss of their dreams and their hopes. And at the time in which this was preached, it was at least understood in some context, and this one is one of them, that 
if your children all died or you never had children, you had no access to eternity because your eternity was in part preserved by continuing on a line. The hemorrhaging woman has faced the loss of potentially life if she continues to bleed like this. It could be very much life-threatening. She certainly has loss of health, loss of money, loss of her own reproductive freedom. She cannot get pregnant during this time of bleeding. She doesn't have that possibility. She also faces the loss of movement as a woman who would be defined as unclean. There are places that she would not be allowed to go, including the temple. She would have been barred from the temple for 12 years, which means that she would not have been able to properly worship for 12 years And again, because of this and because of the inability to have children, she too faced the possibility that she might not have eternal life. There is a ton of want here. And again, it's in what is lacked. There is a lack of proper medical care, of a future, of a life, of salvation. And there is a great deal of fear here. Fear of losing a child Fear for the woman once she experiences her healing of being found out for taking power or touching a man and making him unclean and transgressing those laws of society that are so important. And yet in the midst of this wanting and fearful space, they have one savior for both situations. Jesus fights as hard as the father fights to bring this child to life. He ignores judgment. He ignores criticism. He ignores chiding and being made fun of. He ignores what people think are the limits to God's love and God's power and brings this child to life. And he recognizes the power of the woman in her faith and in her audacity that he announces that it's she who restores her health, which he did not control. She is the only woman in the Bible who takes power from God. She takes it. But God doesn't stop her or punish her for doing it. And in announcing to the crowd that she has done the act that has healed her and set her free, he also restores her to community. Now she is no longer unclean and can walk among them. It is as if the laws of religion and of nature are ignored in the midst of this to bring a child and a woman to the fullness of life. These are true stories of resurrection among us. Well, now let's look at what that passage could mean for us as we bring it into conversation with where we are and what we are struggling with now. And let's look at a significant want in our society today, and that is access to medical care. And this applies across the board. It applies to men, to women, to children, to those that have means, to those that don't have means. We have an imbalance in how people have access to medical care. But to honor where this passage is, we're going to specifically drill down and look at access to medical care for women. Because there are some deep inequalities present in how women have access or don't have access to medical care. And I'm going to frame this up by sharing my own story. So I gave birth to my son when I was 29 years old. I was a high-risk pregnancy because I have high blood pressure. And so I was on bed rest for weeks. 
And in order to have the chance at having a child, that, that risk was worth it to me. But after I had him, to get pregnant again would have meant not just to risk my life, but to risk the life of my son's mother. And to risk the life of my son's mother seemed too high. And so I did not want to have another child. Add to that, I also had a medical condition called endometriosis. It was extremely painful. And one of the best ways to treat endometriosis is a hysterectomy. Y'all, I asked doctor after doctor after doctor to give me a hysterectomy, and I was denied. I was denied because they told me, you might change your mind. I was not going to change my mind. I was in pain, and I wanted to preserve the life of my son's mother. Please give me this medical care. And I know part of their response was their own fear that I might one day sue them because I did change my mind. But I was denied for years and years and years medical care that I needed until I turned 40. And when I turned 40, magically I could have a hysterectomy because they told me, yeah, they told me that any pregnancy that I had after the age of 40 would not be a viable pregnancy, which I wanted to say then, wait a minute, what? I know lots of women that have children after the age of 40 that are viable pregnancies. None of it made sense. It was all broken and hindered. Now, a doctor refusing to do this is one thing, but to make options in healthcare illegal is something else altogether. Doctors will tell you the human body is a miracle. And they will also tell you you cannot have one size fits all healthcare. That in any given situation, there has to be some flexibility in how to respond to a medical situation based on the needs of the patient, the patient's body, the situation that is before us. And so if we make a blanket legal statement about what medical care is accessible and what is not, it cannot take into account that miracle. It cannot take into account those situations. And it, it causes a situation where people's lives might be at risk. There are always exceptions to the rule. Always exceptions to the rule. And then you add on top of that, when you make those choices with law, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you interfere in the role that faith has in making some decisions. You interfere in the ability for people to use their free will to make choices that they need to make. To block that is to tantamount block the freedom of religion. And we have in this passage a faithful woman who makes a decision to get the help that she needs, who transgresses the law that is around her that says she shouldn't even touch the hem of this man. She transgresses that law and then takes the power of God. God doesn't even get in the way of this woman making this choice. In fact, God says, have it. It's yours. Be free, and you and your faith have made you well. Thank God for you. God does not stand in the way, but gives her the power to seek healing. Now let's talk about fears, and let's talk specifically about fears for our children. There are all kinds of things we fear for our children these days. We fear that they'll have an earth worth living in in a few years. We fear that when we drop them off at school, they might be shot. But then more and more and more, I sit down with families 
with parents, with grandparents, with aunts, with uncles who fear for their children who identify as trans. I'm gonna share some statistics from the National Institutes of Health. They have done studies and 82% of people who identify as transgender have considered suicide, 40% have attempted, and the majority of those are teenagers. And the reasons that they give for considering suicide are discrimination, bullying, violence, societal rejection, harassment, and denial of health care. They just don't feel safe being who they think they are. When my son was three years old, he walked into his three-year-old class at daycare, and his teacher said, and what is your name? And he very confidently said, Spider-Man. And the teacher said, hello, Spider-Man. It's nice to have you in class. Come on in. And every day I would drop my son off for his three-year-old daycare, I would walk in and his teacher would go, hi, Spider-Man, and all the kids would go, hi, Spider-Man, and he'd go, hi. <laughs> Y'all, we moved in that year and I drove across Dallas, which is a major thing. I drove across Dallas every day to drop my son off at a daycare where he could be Spider-Man. Now, did my son turn into Spider-Man? No. It's a great bummer, <laughs> but I still hold out hope. Anyway, but, but what he did have in that year was a place where he felt safe, a place where he could explore who he was, a place where he could live a superhero identity. We are now in a society in which we tell children that the name they want to go by cannot be used. In fact, the Learns Act has made some restrictions, making it illegal for teachers to recognize and support the name that a child wants to go by without permission from the parent. And honest to God, really, does it matter? Do you think Jesus cares what name we go by? Jesus doesn't even ask the name of Jairus' daughter. Jesus doesn't ask, nor does Jesus ask if this girl adheres to a certain dogma, nor does Jesus ask what got her sick. Jesus doesn't care. All Jesus cares about is that there is a child in trouble, a child who might die, and he will do whatever it takes, including defying the laws of man and nature to bring this child to life. He just loves her and seeks her life, just like the teachers in our school want to love these kids and seek their life, just like the parents who are raising them love these kids and want to seek their life. And just like we, whether you knew it or not, just promised to do for two little boys, no matter what they're going through, no matter who they are, no matter what name they claim, those boys, we have promised to walk with them through everything. We promise to love them as Christ loves them. So now let's think about this definition of religion, what it means to have religion. We are to care for the widows and orphans. Why the widows and orphans? They were the most vulnerable in the society at the time. It's not really about being a widow and orphan. Jesus is saying, love the ones who are the most vulnerable among you. And you know, when I've done the four questions with you all, the top value that you all name is that you want to care for the vulnerable among you, especially the children. 
That's who we are. And it's not who we are because we randomly stumbled into this building together. It's who we are because we choose to follow Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And then if we think about this second piece of the definition of religion, to remain unstained by the world, well, I will tell you what the biggest stain the world is trying to put on us right now is, and that is hate. The world is trying to stain us with hate, and we must stay unstained from hate. And do you know how you do that? With love, with love. When I have had those conversations, the second value that you all lift up is that you're sick of hate. You are sick of it, I am sick of it, Christ is sick of it, and we will stand against it, and we will stand against it with love. And so, my friends, let us celebrate this day that we are free to practice our religion. We are free to practice our religion, to seek the elimination of fear and want in this world, and to do it, to do it by loving the ones around us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.